Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. The word of the Lord this morning is taken from uh, Colossians 3, 1 to 4, and 20 to 21. When I finish, I will say this is the word of the Lord. Please respond. Thanks be to God. Colossians 3, 1 to 4, and 20 to 21. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts and things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you would also appear with him in glory. Verse 20. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, B.A., and thank you all. Good morning. A uh, special welcome to you if you are worshiping with us on Sunday for the first time. And for those who have not been around for a while, I can spot a few of you. Welcome back. Nice to see you. All right. So my name is Femi. We've been going through a series in the book of Colossians. It's been a while because we plan to go from beginning all the way to the end. So we're in chapter 3 now and uh, getting to the end of chapter 3. There's a writer in the New York Times that I like to read very often. His name is David Brooks. Now, David Brooks recently, um, in his new book, was saying that there are four fundamental commitments that we as human beings make in life, four fundamental commitments. One, we make a commitment to family. Two, we make a commitment to um, a faith or philosophy or religion. Three, we make community to a particular vocation of, or career. And four, we make um, um, a commitment to a community. So let's test that out by thinking of three people. And I think it really works out. Think of Gaba. Gaba is a Muslim, married with three kids. He goes to the mosque weekly and enjoys time with family. He's also a tech journalist who is a devoted member of the Society of Engineering Writers. You see the four things playing out there. Or take Ngozi, she's single, but still lives with her parents. She doesn't practice any organized religion, but has a strong, she has strong moral opinions based on certain philosophical beliefs. She's been attending a weekly female reading club for nine years and is a devoted member of the LGBTQ community and a human rights lawyer. No surprises there. Atonda, on the other hand, is a consultant medical doctor married with two grown kids. He attends church once a month to align his moral center, but is a committed member and leader of the main opposition party, state chapter. And he meets with them twice or three times a week. Now, you may be able to plot yours. What are you? You know, a teacher who believes, who is a Christian, who is committed to a growing family. Maybe you don't have any kids now, or, and um, maybe you're. You're committed to your besties, this group of three of you or something. We all sort of have that. Now, what Brooks presents, um, if you notice, though, is that these 
commitments, even though it's the same person making them, they're all kind of side by side, like on a horizontal line, all right, my commitment to this now, I go to work, that's work, that's vocation. Commitment to family, we just gist, we just talk, we laugh, we fight, we cry, you know. Commitment to faith, I, it's private, I do my thing. I, and then commitment to, what's the last one? A community I attend and all of those things. Paul has a different way of thinking about it. Even though, actually, what you see in Colossians, for, especially from verse 5 of chapter 3 to verse 1 of chapter 4, is that we go through all of those. So there's a community, Dami and um, Emmanuel preach for us about the new community, the church. And you see that from verses 5 all the way to verse 17. But you also see that the, com the commitment to family from verses 18 to verse 21, where you talk about husbands and wives, and you talk about children and parents like we are talking about today. And then after that, from next week, we'll see a commitment to vocation from verse 20, uh, 22 all the way to 4 verse 1. So he addresses them, but when he talks about faith, that is actually in verses 1 to 4 that B.A. read, where he talks about Jesus dying, Jesus rising, Jesus reigning, and Jesus returning. And he's saying, unlike what the books has aligned for us, the faith actually is the controlling center of them all. The faith is the commitment you make, is the major commitment you make. However, that commitment then affects all other commitments. That's why he's saying, look, we have to first see where Christ is. And Christ and our commitment to Christ affects all these other things because Christ is Lord. So you see Lord, the word Lord, in the other three commitments as he talks about. But so when he talks about um, our commitment to a community, the church, the word Lord appears twice. When he talks about our commitment to family, the, Lord, the Lord, word Lord appears twice again. And then in commitment to our vocation, the word Lord or Master appears five times, saying that because Jesus Christ is Lord, you can't leave your commitment to your vocation, your commitment to your family, your commitment to a community just any way you like. You're either Lord or he's Lord. There used to be an old saying that Jesus is not... Jesus. Um, if he is not Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. All right? And this is the way we must think about our parenting. That we are thinking about it from a gospel perspective, a heavenly perspective, that tells us that Jesus, the Jesus that died is also the Jesus that is risen. And because of that, I want to then consider this aspect of my life. So... Um, Last time we looked at the Bible's broader view of parenting. This week, in this Don't Waste Your Parenting Part 2, we want to now consider the, inter, the complex interrelationship between parents and children. I should quickly say that if you, if you notice in verse 21, it says, Fathers, do not embitter your children. Now, in the ancient, especially um, Roman uh, household, um, the father was given the central role of bringing up children. And that's why it's translated father here. However, that word that is translated father can be more broad. It can be used as parent. So if you go to Hebrews 11 verse 23 where it says, by faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months. The word there that is parent is the same Greek word that is father. So we are going to consider that verse in a broader perspective of parents because really in, um, in this, where we are, most people would hopefully 
see that is the father and the mother that should bring up the child, all right? So we're going to look at this uh, sermon through, uh, three, in three parts. Um, the first, embittered parenting. The second, disciplined parenting. And the third, eternal parenting. Embittered parenting, disciplined parenting, eternal parenting. All right, so let's go to the first one, embittered parenting. Now, um, if you read it again, it, you may be shocked by just, is this all Paul has to say about parenting? Children obey your parenting, everything for this pleases the Lord. Father, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Now let's move to work. You know, it's so, it's so short, but as I've been saying, many of these instructions have to be put within a wider context. So you have to zoom out. Now, I want to point out two things when we zoom out, what we're trying to see. The first is that it's an ordering. Paul is talking about an ordering in a relationship. Now, it's quite strange that in the old ancient um, um, letters that had to do with people's parenting, right, or addressing households, they actually didn't address children. They were addressed the fathers, but the children were, you know, who cared about the children? They don't have an opinion. They should be seen, not heard. But here it's, it's funny that Paul actually sees the children as a responsible um, um, uh, people in the household, and so he addresses them. That's the first thing. The second thing is that the ordering that, that Paul presents has to do with the fact that, especially according to the biblical storyline, that the Bible says that both parents and children are corrupted by sin. Quick back up. In the beginning, when God created human beings, he created them good. They were without sin. But then they decided they wanted to live their own lives, not as God in their lives. They wanted to be as God. So sin came and corrupted them. Now, what the Bible then teaches is that everyone who is then born, born of a woman, is born imago dei, imago dei being in the image of God, and born in sin. We are born in the image of God, but we're also born in sin. David said, in sin did my mom conceive me. And you think, really, children are sinful? <laughs> you know how children. <laughs> you know, the funny thing about children is when you give birth to children, you know how they're always very cute. We always just want to cuddle them. They can't do anything wrong. They always look at And when, when they look at us, we often think something like this. That, ah, look at the way this child, this child just thinks I am cute. No. It's not because you are saying kuchu, kuchu, kuchu. It look you are stupid, not cute. That's how the child sees you. Uh, but also, we think that maybe when they are two and three, we tell them, "Don't do that! Don't do that!" But we think that those children must be scared of me as well. They must be scared of me. Now, secret. Why do you think the children either smile at you when you do kuchu, kuchu, kuchu or they obey you when you tell them, "Don't do that thing"? Is it because now all of a sudden they understand? that mommy and daddy are, you know, they, they are um, they're these authority figures. Or, no, the reason they do it is because of what they want to get from you. Children are very manipulative. It's true. They manipulate us. I have a niece. She's the only niece I have. That should tell you something. Uh, my, my parents have six grandchildren. She's the only one of the six that is a girl. And so, yes, she has me wrapped around her finger. She has my grandfather. You know, it's so bad because she's like 13 now. It's so bad that right now she knows. She knows. In fact, we know she's using us. She knows she's using us. <laughs> but, we, you know, so she just said, Uncle Femi, 
You know you are just the best uncle in the world. Oh, look at what this guy do to me. Say it again. Say it again. I can't. And she, and she gets what she wants. Where is that thing coming from? She's is seeing, seeing inside her, manipulating me. But that same child I know, as with all children, do you think your children like it when you tell them, don't watch TV? You can't have, oh, you see, she told, she said it. You can't have candy. You can't have, um, you wash your hands when you use the toilet. Do you think they like it? it Okay, all right, you are a perfect child. <laughs> you need to speak to my boys. Yeah, that's on that, on that last part. Actually, they don't. Children don't actually. They do it for a number of reasons. But children naturally would want to kick against your authority. Children from birth are naturally rebellious. And for the older kids that are still in their parents' place here today, sometimes you may think, uh, uh, this thing my parents are telling me to do, no, don't really want to do them. Uh, don't worry, leave her. She's rebellious. Uh, <laughs> this, this thing my parents are, are telling me to do, I didn't really want to do it, but because I don't want them to control me, I want to be my own person. But could you consider that you're actually doing that not because you feel you're not in control of your life, but because something else is actually controlling you. It's called sin. We're not really as free as we think. But let's talk about the parenting, too. Um, Paul, yeah, you know, as we grow, we Niger people, we like to make fun. Niger people like to make fun. As well, Oimbo people, you know, Westerners, we like to. They see that child. That child did something terrible. Let's say the child spoke, insulted their aunt. And so the mom is miffed. How could you do such a thing? She's older than you. She's da da da. I cannot believe this. Oh, I'm so angry with you. Go now to your naughty corner. And Western and Nigerians are like, eh? What corner? What, how, why is that corner naughty? As in, what, how is that child going to feel bad by putting them? As well, we think about how, ah, it was my own mom. Backhand first. Right? And you know some mothers are experts at that backhand. It's like, you know, when they slap you like this, Every time you slap, anybody they slap like this, you stand. Backhand always makes you fall down. You know it's backhand. It's like, pow! But some mothers are so good, they do pow! As you are go, it's like matrix. As you are falling down, they're coming with the other one, pow! Just to land it there. And so some of us are now glorifying it. You know, glorifying. But really, a lot of people, a lot of parents did overstep their bounds. It's what Paul talks about when he says, embittering your children embittering your children. What does that word embitter mean? Now, the Greek word is very interesting what it means. It says to embitter is to cause someone to react in a way that suggests acceptance of a challenge. To react in a way that suggests acceptance of a challenge. Now, it's only ever used, that same word is only ever used in one other place in the Bible, and this, it uses it in a positive way. Paul is trying to get this church, or the churches in a region called Achaia, the church in Corinth is one of them. Um, he's trying to get them to fulfill their pledge of, of something they are pledged, uh, or money they are pledged on. And he's saying, look, I used you guys as an example to the churches in Macedonia. So 2 Corinthians 9 verse 12, here's what it says. For I know your eagerness to help, and I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, 
telling them that since last year, you in Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. Enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. The word enthusiasm is the same word that is called embittered. What did the enthusiasm do? It stirred them to action. They accepted the challenge to give when they saw the enthusiasm of the guys in Achaia. It moved them to actually give. And now in the negative way, Paul is saying, there is a way you can raise your kids, embitters them to take up a challenge. What is the challenge? You don't want them to be rebellious. They take up that challenge of rebellion, and they go that way anyway. Some of us know what this is. Who remembers the first time we flipped? You know, flipped. You know what I mean? You don't know. I mean the first time you looked at your parents and said, to hell with what you are saying. I'm going to do it anyway. This your beating is not even going to do it. I remember the first time I flipped. It was GS2 or GS3. It was on beating. Because my parents never beat me again after this. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't that my parents used to beat me so much that I flipped. No. I got the beating somewhere else. It was in school. It was in school. I was in, I almost said it. I was about to say the school I was in, but I think some of you send your children to those schools, so I wouldn't spoil it. But they used to beat us so much, like, so much. I remember when we were, the, the, we were voted the dirtiest class in school. <laughs> now, I have to say, that has nothing to do with me being there. You understand? In fact, it's contrary to... But we voted the dirtiest class. Our teacher was so embarrassed. He got back. He called all of us. He came to our class. He started to flog us. Do you know where he started to beat us? If we said the back, it would be fine. If we said on the, on the back of the, on this place, it would be good. If we said on our legs, on our knuckles, it would be good. On our legs, we'd be like, well, ah, you know, he hated it. He was flogging us on our head. So come, pow, pow. Now, this is, apart from that, now I was a bad boy. So I used to get flogged regularly for I remember this other one, art. I didn't give my, I didn't give my art. Um, and this is where I kind of flipped in, 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 in school. So you'd be flogged, flogged, flogged. So I didn't do my art assignment. So the man called like four or five of us. So the first one came, you know, so this is how he flogged us. He put a stool here. When you put the stool, you're not meant to rest on the stool. So you see, when I'm doing this, what happens? There's tension in my back. So the man will now come. Fly! Ah! You know, some children, ah, sorry, sorry. So come back here. They like that, that reaction. That, ah, so no, come here, come here. Fly! It's like two or three. So after a while, I don't know what entered my head that day. I'm like, I can't, all this whole thing again. I just, is he not beating Abby? The guy was about to become a star. <laughs> so I went, I put myself there. Pow! I didn't move. My face didn't move. I didn't move. I think he was meant to give us three, but he realized that wasn't, and I kid you not, on the third or fourth one, the man did this. <laughs> and I did not move. By the time he just finished, I got up. I looked at him. That's what we call chesting. They were everywhere went scattered. Scatter. They started to, ah, that Femi, Femi, the guy's in Chester. You know? Yeah, yeah. I had an extra swag in my steps. So one day I did something bad at home, really bad. They didn't discipline me the night, that night before. It was the next morning when my grandmother had come. They had already shared the issue with my grandma. So when I came into the, my parents' room, my grandma was just crying. Uh, I was like, you see, you see what you did to this woman? You know? 
I was just like, so my father said, yes, you did. Now I'm going, to, I'm going to teach you a lesson so that you never do that again. So he now said, bring out your hand. He brought his leather belt. I'm going to give you six strokes. Pow! 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 My mother said, he's hurting. He's hurting. He's gone. You embitter, Paul then says, they will be discouraged. And the implication is that you provoke them to accept the challenge of rebellion. There are so many people who are abusing parents now. They, are, they, are, they abuse as parents. Why? It's because they were raised under embittered parenting. They took that challenge on. They are terrible as bosses. They are terrible as, uh, as state governors. Why? They, they, they do things out of anger. They've accepted the challenge because they were under embittered parents. For some, it is with their grown children. You know, the, well, though Paul says, obey your parents, Paul recognizes, if you remember from last week, that what is the goal of parenting? The goal of parenting is to let go. Is that you are, you are preparing people to let them go into the world. And as I was saying last week, that some parents don't want to ever let go. So what happens is you start to, Paul envisions that for the children as they're growing, you move on this slider that moves from obedience eventually to deference. And as parents, your role is that you move from instructor to counselor. But many times, we still want to be an instructor when that child is 16. Now, don't get me at 16. You should be a mix of counselor and instructor, depending on the thing. But what happens is you get this 23-year-old that cannot worship where they want to worship. And you're thinking, at 23, you should be able to worship where you want. Of course. You have this 24-year-old that cannot work where they want to work because you've already made a deal with that. Uh, they know somebody in the ministry of this one. You have to, that's where you are going. At 25, this friend of yours, I saw it on the Facebook that, do you know that uh, she once colored her hair red? Did you know? Did you know? <laughs> Controlling them. And then you start to manipulate them. Ah, if you don't do this, if you don't go to church, what would they say about me? What would they do? You know, what would they, they, can they I, I meet many people. It's as though they are independent businessmen. They can't still get, to, they are still going to a church that their mom goes to. Because they, are, they, can't, they don't want to upset them. Because of the emotional blackmail. Ah, don't marry Ibo. And you say, hey, in this 21st century, are we still thinking like that? Yes. I don't want to upset my parents. And at some point, parents, at some point, that child is going to take up that challenge. That child is going to look you in the face and you will, you will, you will start to use all those, your emotional blackmail. It will not work. You will start to cry. The child will still be, do you want tissue? Someday they will look at you in the face and say, you have never been a mother to me. Because you keep piling on these things. One day, this embittered parenting will get you exactly what you're looking for. That's what Paul is saying. Say, don't do it. 
reason is if you discourage them and provoke them, eventually they'll take that up. They would react in different ways, but they will never be productive members of society and will never see themselves develop. I have more to say about that. Let's go to the second point. But I should ask us, is your shouting, your beating, your restricting, is that producing the kind of children you want, or is it producing embittered and discouraged kids for life, or fit for life? Second, disciplined parents. Now, if I want to back, back up to the issue of um, obedience, you see, children learn their first principles of life at home, right? We should have more kids in this. They are interactive, honestly. Like all people just looking at me as though I'm not saying anything. <laughs> you should whoop like, amen, you know? And thank you. Yes. Children learn their first principles at home. The principles are about life. They learn it at home. Where's the first place they're going to learn it at home? So one of the big things that you and I know as you engage through life is how do we navigate through different authority structures? Because life is... In built-in life, these different authority structures. So, for instance, the first one you think about once you go out is schools. You have pupils, and what do you have? Teachers. In society, we have citizens, but we also have governments. In churches, we have members or congregants, and we have pastors. In the world, generally, we have creatures, and we have God. For the world to function well, you do need to have authority structures. And by Paul saying, children, obey your parents, he's immediately saying the place where children first learn authority, authority matters is at home. Now, we have a very complex relationship depending uh, on, on what kind of parenting you had with authority. Now, as I said, now there's a place to challenge authority. Don't get me wrong. If you're voting certain people and they're not doing what they, they promised to do, or they're not doing what's right, we should challenge that authority. But the point Paul is making is that before you can challenge authority, you need to actually know that there is authority. Now, with our parenting, we often react in two different ways when it comes to authority. It, the first is uh, the embittered parenting that I spoke about. But sometimes we go another way to what we call enabled parenting. Embittered parenting, their goal is for the children to obey me. Enabling parenting, their goal is for the children to like me. So let's look at five things, for instance, that will help us identify them. Embittered parenting, they abuse authority to get obedience and submission. They're trying to control things. All you want is for people to not deviate from how I've structured this house. There's no... Nothing to do with them expressing themselves. It's order. Order. So that's an abuse of authority to get obedience and submission. Whereas with enabled parenting, you ignore authority to get approval and affirmation. My children tell me anything. We're just best friends. We're besties. We're like sisters, not really. Now, don't get me wrong. Parenting that doesn't... Um, enable your children to share with you. It's not good parenting. But if you just say, we are best friends, you know, like Yemi is one of my best friends. I never tell Yemi, Yemi, go and clean up that place. Femi say, say what? You know, Femi, <laughs> in case you forgot, forget all this best friend thing. I'm older than you. <laughs> Have you checked Yemi's gray hair, my own gray hair? <laughs> Should I call him out? 
Jeremy come out. You, you know why he's not going to obey? Because he's my best friend. <laughs> you understand? So when you say that, you are removing, in some ways, some kind of authority structure because you just want your, you don't want there to be those, those hindrances, that hierarchy. It divides me and my children. That's a problem because authority matters. Second, the embittered parent punishes without explanation. The enabled parent explains without punishment. So this, this one, who did this there? Why did you do that? I said, from here, pa, pa. But daddy, I wanted to, pa, pa. Why are you beating me? I don't know. Pa, pa. <laughs> and after the wrath has expired, there's no calling the child back to say, now this is what happened. Whereas with the other one is, they never ever punish. They only just talk. We talk. My children and I talk. So what then happens is, ah, you took daddy's meat. Ah, daddy doesn't like it. You know, it makes daddy, he feels one kind. Because when he eats the food and he doesn't have two pieces of meat, it does something to him. Don't do it again. We were not talking about you. So he does that one. And then the other, next time is, ah, like I said the other time, you shouted on Auntie Toyin. Ah. It's not good. It will hurt Auntie Twain's feelings when you shout on her. As a younger person, you, okay, look, did you see her after it? Did she look, was she smiling? She wasn't smiling, which would make people smile. <laughs> you know? So you explain. Then one day, she called back home, suspended. Why? I slapped my teacher. You slapped your teacher? Oh, gosh. No wonder. I saw her, she wasn't looking happy. Don't you want your children to be happy? So we've explained. You see, I explained to her. And she, actually, when I think about it, she hasn't been obeying me. Because <laughs> she did that to her dad, to her aunt, now to the teacher. I wonder, maybe the governor next. No punishment, just explanation. Third, Regular lose, um, the embittered parents regularly loses their temper, temper tantrums. The reason why many parents, especially our fathers you take, uh, that are abusive, to, many abusive fathers are actually abusive husbands. Remember, they've grown up, they themselves, many of them have been, a, they, they grew up under embittered parenting. And so when they are losing their temper, it's not necessarily just the thing that is bothering them here. There's so much rage that is pent up there. So the, every time, everything is a trigger that releases the valve, and it just goes off in all directions. It hits everyone. Whereas with, in, with um, enabling parents, you say, oh, I'm sure they never lose their temper. Actually, no. They start being increasingly aware that people are talking about how they spoil their kids. And they've been keeping it, keeping it, keeping it bothers them. One day, the kid does something. It may not even be a big thing. And they just explode. They explode not because of the thing the kid does, did, but because of all the things people are saying. This is why people are saying this about me. Why don't you ever listen? Why don't you? I'm like, ah, but mommy, who, who, who is this? Intermittently, they lose their temper. Fourth, this, the children then learn to fear and resist authority later in life. Either you got them broken, you broke them, 
So now, every time, any kind of authority structure they see, they actually resist it. They actually uh, get scared of it. Or they resist it. There are some people, and I'm not saying all of them are like this, but some people, for instance, who are, let's say, uh, radical, radical secular feminists, right? Their real angst is not even so much about the whole gender issue and inequality. No, their real angst is that you should have any authority structure. So that's why they will be against government, they will be against churches, they will be against husband and wives, they will be anything that has any kind of hierarchical structure they're against. Why? Go, and go back and look at their childhood. The idea of what it, mean, it meant to hold authority and use it well was never given to them. And so they hit all forms of authority. The funny thing is, with enabled parenting, is exactly the same thing. Some of them will fear authority because it was never, ever shown to them. So being told, we can fire you, or being told, you better go and do that thing, being scolded for not doing a good job, is just something they, they are not used to. Or, like the person, the one person that resisted when the, the man was, well, actually, this is a good one. It was good she resisted. So I can't use that example, but I'll say it anyway. When the man went to flog, he said, sorry, sir, my daddy doesn't flog me on my head. I said, eh? How can you do that? And her dad was actually the man's lecturer. Go and ask your dad. I never spoke to him this way. You are not flogging me on my head. My dad never flogged me. So this person resists it because at home, me and my, the person that's the older person and I, we always often talk. So when the person, that, this GM is saying, hey, you come, say GM, uh, let's say the GM is uh, Kola Adini. He say, hey, Kola, hey, Kola from where? <laughs> you this 25-year-old, dude, I am 52. You're 25, flip it around. <laughs> 52, don't, Mr. Denny. Ah, what's there? I call my mom by name. Ah, you lack home training. You know, you know some people in your office, you look at it and say, this one didn't have good home training. You know them. You know, you've identified them. Uh -huh. And then finally, um, the results in alienated relationships because of the parent's selfishness on the one hand, and on the other hand, in enabling, it resulted in alienation, alienated uh, relations because of the child's selfishness. You wanted to keep the order. You wanted everything fine, uh, done in the way you wanted it in your parenting. Now the child wants to have nothing to do with you now that they're adults. Or a child has now realized that your style of parenting has not prepared them for the, for the world outside. This is your kodo, 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 and now the child is resentful towards you. Or the child just... They are tired of talking to you. Now they're adults. I can't do that mommy and daddy thing. I need to have some. It's a boyfriend. It's a girlfriend or something. They are so selfish. They don't care about you. This doesn't end well. That's what Paul is saying. Paul says, actually, and with, uh, with other, someone else in the Bible, the writer of Hebrews, there is another way of parenting. It's called disciplined parenting. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. It just goes on and on from verse 7, 7b. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you aren't legitimate. Not true sons and daughters at all. You know Paul is saying, uh, the writer of Hebrews saying, he said, if you are not disciplining, you are questioning, functionally questioning the legitimacy of your children. He's saying legitimate parenting works out in discipline. And he said, ah, ah, discipline, we should be punishing our children. No, he didn't say punishing. He said discipline. 
and they're not necessarily the same thing. In fact, discipline should remind us of another word, a word that is inside discipline, disciple. We are called to disciple our children. We are called to prepare them for something. You see, discipline is the right way, if you like, in how we use authority. Let's look at how discipline compares with the other two, disciplined parenting. When it comes to authority, where embittered parents abuse authority and enabling parents ignore authority, disciplined parents appropriate authority to train and develop the child. Not to discourage the child, but to train the child up and develop them. That's what discipleship is, isn't it? It uses the authority. Now that you are called to obey me, I would, I would use this authority as a tool, as a tool to develop you in the way you should go. Second, they punish with explanation. So it doesn't get rid of punishment, spare the rod, and what? Spoil the child. Now, that's not necessarily saying when it says spare the rod that you must get an actual rod. But it's saying that if you don't have punishment in your child, in your children's life, there's a problem. You know what that problem is? What is punishment, really? Whether we are flogging um, uh, or, or we are actually depriving children of something, it is a way to actually feel, to communicate in a tactile way a moral, a moral order. That is, if you keep telling the child, this thing is not right, this thing is not right, this thing is not right, it goes through the ear. You are communicating through the ear. But punishment is communicating in a tactile way, in a way that can be felt. When they he hear that thing impact on their bum, what it's saying is, that was bad. Just like when we give sometimes presents for doing a good thing, we are saying that was good. Now, I say it's not only by flogging. I, I told you, after that thing, my parents didn't flog me again. Next time I did one very bad thing. They did the worst thing they ever done to me in my life. You know, I don't know about your school. Some of you went to wonderful, wonderful schools. But this was a big deal. It was time for me to travel. I went to go abroad. So it was like just two or something. You know, I was going abroad. And that's a big deal. It's a big deal when you know this summer, you know, this, you're going. So like, you know, I'll, I'll see when I knew I was going because I'd gone, got in the visa and everything. I'll see somebody. i say, ah, Lola. <laughs> What are you doing uh, this uh, holiday? <laughs> like, ah, yeah, well, we're going to um, we're going to visit my grandmother in Sapele. Wow, ah, it's good that all of us are doing things during this holiday. Uh, hey, what are you doing? Ah, since you asked, um, <laughs> yeah, I'm just I'm going on holes. <laughs> just um, you know, just um, just going to UK. Oh my God, so hard. Uh, <laughs> So I was doing the rounds, letting everybody know. Anyone knew in my class that Femi is traveling because not everybody was traveling. And I brought home one result. My parents, didn't, they know that this one, is we, we flog him 20 strokes, so nothing will happen. They said, you're not traveling again. Ah. <laughs> so I, I got it. Is this adult play? You know, they. This adult play, they say some of these things, but eventually they'll change their mind because we queued for visa. <laughs> They're not allowing that. So I was waiting for 
I started being a good boy at home. Like, you know, everything, lay my bed, did everything. They would change their mind. Two weeks to come, they said nothing about changing the ah-ah. They really like me. We call this play now. I'm not doing it again. School has closed. They're not saying anything. One week, they're not telling me about how I'm going to park. Two days, they're not telling me go and park. Oh, I get it. They're going to buy all the clothes that I'm going to wear when we get there. That's it. The day we're traveling, almost they say nothing. I didn't believe it until they entered the car and they started going. Ah, you hear me? I started crying. My grandmother came It was horrible. It was horrible. They enjoyed their time. So the inevitable comes. You're going to go back to school. What are you going to say? Fortunately for me, I had chicken pox. So when I got back to school, ah, family, you know these uh, people in UK, they don't allow, I had chicken pox, they don't allow people to go. I couldn't go, I couldn't go, but it's chicken pox. But I had bafsha, I had, I had to prove that. If they are giving me 48 strokes of the cane, I will have taken it. But I started passing my exams. Good results started coming in. I felt the impact of my playing around, my not being serious, I felt it in my body. When we remove punishment, we are not trying to instill into the hearts of our children that this is right and this is wrong. Let's quickly move on, quickly. Usually even tempered, we're not saying that they don't lose their temper, but normally if you are trying to disciple the heart of your child, implicit in using punishment well is self-control. Don't ever punish your children when you are throwing a fit. You let them know, as in you have to be in control of yourself. If you are so angry, hold it. Just hold it and come back, all right? Then children learn to flourish under authority and allow others to flourish under their authority. When they go out, they will now understand it. So what I mean by this is, have you ever lived under a good boss or something? They understood. Remember this guy? There was a guy in Matthew chapter 8, a centurion, who came to meet Jesus, who had a sick servant, uh, 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 and he, Jesus said, should I follow you? He said, no, don't follow me. Speak the word, and what? It will, it will be done. I was like, ah, how does he know this? He said, why? Because I am a man under authority, and I have people under my authority. He understood in his military training that had taught him authority. I would say that probably he was very disciplined with authority back at home. So the, his understanding of social, or how authority works in social dimension helped him understand how authority then worked in the spiritual dimension. If you start to treat your children right with, with the authority that you're giving, when they go out into the world, whether they're in middle management, they will be able to, the people that are um, under the line management, they'll be able to use their authority to enable them to flourish as they also serve people in senior management who whose authority they are under. Do we get that? And then finally, you know what Hebrew, the writer of Hebrew says? Because it says here, yeah, it results in respectful and loving relationship because of the parent's sacrifice. The writer of Hebrews says, after he talks about that discipline, verse 9, he says, moreover, we all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. That's amazing. We are trying to get our children's affirmation and love now, whereas 
we should be looking forward 20 years down the line when they'll, come, they'll call you and say, I didn't understand then, but now I understand. When your children look at you and say, that's my mom, that's my father, they respect you. Many people are broken. The embittered or enabling parents, it creates distance and alienation. But when you disciple your children well with authority, what happens? It creates respect. It creates a coming together at that last point. I spoke with someone this week who says he's a good Christian. He's okay, but he says, even though I have forgiven my father, it's hard for me to forget. I can't reconcile with him. He said because he started recalling to me. I remember, I must have been three or four. I remember how he slapped my mom, how we used to do it. I can't forget all the number of times he used to physically just hit me for any reason. I can't. Tough. The relationship was embittered. It was bitter. Whereas if we handle our relationships well, we, the relationship will be sweet. It will be tasty. It will be savory. It reminds me of this recent clip I saw. There's a guy called Paul Henri Mathieu. Paul Henri Mathieu was a French tennis player. He'd been playing for a while, and he was coming to retirement, and he chose nowhere better to retire than in the biggest tournament in his home country called the French Open. So every match he played was probably going to be his last match. And so he came to the end of this uh, uh, match he had lost and was trying to reflect. He has a seven-year-old son, and this is what happened next. What happened next was not the freezing of the screen. <laughs> I would say, take it out and do it again. This is what we call hanging. You guys know what <laughs> was the opponent that beat him. He had lost the match, but he had won in life. That's a sweet relationship. When your own son comes to comfort you at a time that's most important to you. Let's use this authority well to enable us to have a relationship where it's sweet, but also is discipling our children's heart to make them fit for the world. Which brings me to my third point. Some of us will be saying this. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. That was a nice, cute clip. But this has not been my situation. And I know there are some of us here whose 
parents have been, your, your, the growing up of your parents was just, it was so hard. They were so harsh. Or for some of us, our parents died too soon. For some of us, they weren't around. They were alive, but they weren't around. And so you have no stable model for parenting, which reminds me, especially for those whose parents were not around. You may say, no, my parenting, my father, the relationship with my father didn't look like that. It looked like something on an episode of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air I'll show you. And in case you never watched Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, what you will see in this um, clip is three people, a guy called Will, his uncle called Phil, Uncle Phil, and then his father. His father had not really been around, so he lived in different places, but on the, the show is about him living with his uncle, who is a, um, a lawyer, you know, well-to-do and all of that. But at this point, you know, many times the father will come, we'll do something together, he'll disappoint, he'll do something, ah, we'll do something together, he'll disappoint. But this time they were meant to go out camping together, and we was excited, looking forward to it. And then the father returns, and it's going to be about four minutes. Let's just watch. <laughs> I'm glad you're here. Um, some business came up. I got to handle. So we're going to have to put a, our trip on hold. You understand? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, that's cool. That's cool. Just, just for a couple of weeks. Mm, I understand. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe a little longer. Yeah, whatever, whatever. Look, I'll, I'll call you next week and we'll iron out the details, mm -hmm. okay? Yeah, yeah. It was great seeing you, son. You too, Lou. Yeah. Yeah, um... I'm sorry, Will. You know what, actually, this works out better for me. You know, the Slimmies of Summer come to class wearing next to nothing, you know what I'm well, saying? Well, it's all right to be angry. Hey, well, why should I be mad? I'm saying, at least he said goodbye this time. I just wish I hadn't wasted my money buying this stupid present. I'm sorry. I, you know, if there was something that I Hey, could you know do. what? You ain't got to do no, nothing, Uncle Phil. Hey, you know, ain't like I'm still five years old, you know? Ain't like I'm going to be sitting up every night asking my mom, when's daddy coming home, you know? Who needs him? Hey, he wasn't there to teach me how to shoot my first basket, but I learned, didn't I? Hey, I got pretty damn good at it, too, didn't I, yeah, Uncle Phil? Did. Got through my first day without him, right? Mm. I learned how to drive. I learned how to shave. I learned how to fight without him. I had 14 great birthdays without him. He never even sent me a damn card. Die with him! I ain't need him then, and I don't need him now. Will. Nah, you know what, Uncle Phil? I'm going to get through college without him. I'm going to get a great job without him. I'm going to marry me a beautiful honey, and I'm going to have me a whole bunch of kids. I'm going to be a better father than he ever was. And I sure as hell don't need him for that, because ain't a damn thing he could ever teach me about how to love my kids. How come he don't want me, man? Some of us, that's the kind of um, parenting or the kind of fatherhood that we had or maybe never had. 
And so you're saying, I don't know how to do it. I don't have a stable model. On the, night that, on the day that Jesus rose from the dead, there's a very funny thing that happened. The first person he appeared to was a lady. Her name was Mary. And Mary didn't know. She just she came to do some things with a dead body, and she, she thought he was the gardener. She said, where did you put him? And Jesus eventually called her in a way that was going to be familiar with her. He called her Mary, and then she realized it was him, and she wanted to grab hold of him. And in John 20, verse 17, Jesus said, Do not hold me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. The Father, my Father, your Father. You see, eternally, God has always been Father, God the Father. And God the Father has always had God the Son. Eternally, he's always been a Father. Now, when that God the Son came as a human being in the person of Jesus Christ, he often referred to him as my Father. People understood there was one God, but to call him personally my Father, that's for him. His eternal Father is the mighty God. He is holy. He is all of those things, but mine... That's a bit too much of a stretch. I have to settle with this father. He's dead. Or he's never around. Or he beats me so much. In fact, for some of us, the thought of God as a father, you don't want to talk about it. But when Jesus died and he rose again, he was saying to Mary, you can now call him my father, your father. It made sense for the disciples finally what he was saying, that when you pray, say, our father. If you've had any of those experiences that is making you doubt about what kind of parent you will be, or that I don't want to be a parent because of him, God is saying, Put all of that away. I want to embrace you as my child. Listen, if you are here today and you had an abusive parent, a parent that was never around or that died too soon, you don't have to be defined by that father. You can be defined by a father that never dies, will eternally always be your father if you come to him by Christ. The hymn writer says, about this father, father-like, he tends and spares us. Well, our feeble frame he knows. In his hands, he gently guides us, rescues us from all our foes. So often we think about the gospel, Jesus Christ and his bride, and it's true. But here's another picture of the gospel. God, who is the creator of all things, the mighty God, if you come to him through his son, Jesus Christ. If you're not a Christian, that's my invitation to you. Come to him. Come to him. For those of us who are parenting or would-be parents, 
the way to go is not necessarily to repeat the same mistakes as your parents or to go in the whole extreme, the other extreme. The writer of Hebrews says, you know this whole discipline thing I'm talking to you about? This is how the Heavenly Father treats us. How much more should we submit to the Father of Spirits and live? They disciplined us, that's our earthly fathers, a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in its holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. This is how God, the eternal Father, does to us. He's discipling our hearts. He's using the circumstances in our lives, the difficulties, to somehow point us to that internal inheritance where we'll be pure, holy like he is. Do likewise. Or not just do likewise. Say, this is what I'll be. I'm not going to parent so that they can just obey and submit to me. I'm not going to parent so that others can say my children are well taught. I'm not going to parent so that my children will just like me. I want to parent so that they will be discipled. There will be a harvest of righteousness and they will be fit for the world. I'm going to be like my heavenly father. for listening to the gospel in lagos we pray you've been blessed by this message to learn more about city church visit www.citychurchlagos.com city church love jesus love people love lagos